Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. So today we are going to have the most dynamic conversation I've had in months with Doug Mintz, the Honorable Doug Mintz, and Gabrielle Hartley. Doug is a partner at Carmody, Torrance, Sendak, and Hennessy. He's the ADR partner now. He was a former civil trial judge and a former legislator. So a lot to share with us about his experiences. And of course, my dear friend, Gabrielle Hartley, who is an incredible TEDx speaker. She's an author. Her new book, The Secret to Getting Along is coming out and we're gonna have a link in the show notes, but it is a fabulous book coming out. Also, she wrote the book, Better Apart. She has created the um, Better Apart Total Practice Makeover that can help attorneys learn how to do better divorce work. Uh, she also has the private divorce solution, which helps people decide how to divorce better. And that includes the pets. So given all of the new legislation that's coming down in California and Alaska and Illinois and New Hampshire, New York, requiring judges to find the best interests of the pet when they're doing divorce resolution. This conversation takes that on, handles it in a very safe and special way, and you'll learn so much. So now let's hear what Doug and Gabrielle have to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and welcome back to Why Do Pets Matter? Today, I have my good friends, the Honorable Doug Mintz and Gabrielle Hartley, joining us for that one question that we ask, why do pets matter to them? Uh, judge Mintz is uh, a former superior court ju trial judge. Uh, he is a former legislator in the Connecticut legislature. I mean, he's had so many hats, I love it. And now he is a partner in the ADR section of the firm Carmody Torrance Sendak and Hennessy in Connecticut. I'm so grateful to have you here, Judge Mintz. And of course, my dear friend, Gabrielle Hartley, who is currently releasing a book, The Secret to Getting Along and Why It's Easier Than You Think. Gabrielle is also a TEDx speaker. She spoke on The Secret to Getting Along, It's Easier Than You Think, which was what was the driving force behind her new book that we can't wait to read. Uh, she is also the purveyor of this wonderful 
business called the Private Divorce Solution. It is a wonderful project on the internet and in her business. She and I both started out as attorneys. She is Hartley Law and Mediation. I'm Hamilton Law and Mediation, but she created this wonderful program, the Private Divorce Solution, that's going to help everyone really solve their issues in a way that saves their relationship. So without further ado, I am so glad, Doug, you're here, and I'm so glad, Gabrielle, you're here. Let me ask you both, and I'm going to have ladies first, uh, ask you both, why do pets matter to you? So in my life, I have never been the pet lover in my family, although I do love my pet. However, my father had a dog who I guess we got when I was about 12, who passed away when I was about 30. So that always sounds funny to say. It just means that she lived a very long time. He lived, see, that's, I got the gender wrong. Um, <laughs> he, he lived for a long time. Um, and he was really my father's constant companion. Um, and by the, the end of Einstein's life, Einstein was less fur and more skin, but my dad loved that dog and brought that dog absolutely everywhere. He could be seen walking down the streets of Brooklyn with him, up in the Berkshires with him. And um, and the dog in my house, I have three sons and we have a dog that got my three kids through COVID and dogs are just endless love. And um, I can appreciate that. I have always had a lot of people in my life rather than dogs, but I know dog lovers tend to say that they like animals more than people. I, I love people. I like dogs. I love my dog, like I said, but they matter to me because I, I recognize the emotional support and unconditional love that they bring to people. That is so wonderful. I love that you were so honest because it is important. There are people who actually, you know, the dogs are their children and then the dogs are their companions and there's a different. Doug, how about you? Why do pets matter to you? Well, like Gabrielle, uh, I've got really my first dog. I'm the youngest of three boys and my older brother is around four years older than me. And when they went off to college, uh, my parents got me a dog. I think they got themselves a dog to replace my brothers, but they said they got me a dog. And really, I've had pets ever since. My When I got married, my brother bought us a dog. And he said, if you can survive a puppy, you can have kids. Because uh, puppies can be harder than children. You know, you got to walk them in every kind of weather and, and clean up after them. So he was right. And we've had uh, pets ever since. We've We've had, I had a parrot, I've had birds, I've had uh, hermit crabs. Uh, we had a, a uh, yellow lab who just passed away during COVID, who was the sweetest uh, dog in the world. And all she, she was a pleaser. All she wanted to do was hang out and be with us. And, and she would hang out in front of our house in Reading, Connecticut with her paws crossed under a tree. And everybody that walked by would stop and say hello. And, and I think the neighborhood missed her more than, I can't say more than us, but as much as but we- as did. much. Yeah, as much. And and we we actually just lost our cat uh, who came in after Sandy, the dog. And she was a, he was a little Burmese cat and he would terrorize the dog. He would chase the dog all over the place and and- grab her by the neck and bite her and run away. And the poor dog would look at me like, what did I do? What did I do? 
And so, you know, animals have played a real important part in our lives uh, because the, they unconditional love and and just, you know, they're there for you when you need them. Was Sandy named Sandy because of Annie? No, Sandy was named Sandy because she was yellow and and my son Matt said she looks like sand. Okay. <laughs> Actually, Sorry. There's, it's, it's, know that on, 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 let me, there was a character on SpongeBob Sandy the squirrel, I think, and my okay. my son named her after him, the that character. I think. You know, there are so many connectivities between why we name our dogs the or cats the way we do. Um, my son named his cat um, Lady Jane because of some Dungeons and Dragons person who's a gray or something. So, and she's gray. These animals bring so much to our lives. And I, I want to tell the audience that the other secret reason I brought Doug and Gabrielle here, beside the fact that I love to share wonderful information with my um, listeners, especially about new information that's coming out, which is Gabrielle's book, which she, I hope will give us a little bit of a, a tease about when I ask her, but Doug, I'm going to ask you, Doug and Gabrielle, deal with mediation and divorce. I believe both of them are not necessarily litigating in divorce, but they'll correct me when I ask them. They're more mediating in divorce uh, because that's how I feel things would happen. But now a number of states are starting to give um, the judiciary the responsibility of finding out or deciding what's in the best interest of animals. And so I secretly drag them here because as mediators, I just want to get their take on how they feel about the new decision that gives judges the opportunity, well, first of all, um, to help people decide who gets the pet. Uh, and also what path a divorcing couple might take in lieu of litigation when it comes to the pet. So Doug, I'm gonna start with you. I knew we, we had cheated while Gabrielle was getting on, uh, chatting a little bit about this. So how are, what are your thoughts? Because as a former judge and now a mediator, what do you think about the new requirements for judges to decide what's in the best interest of a pet in one day or maybe two days of testimony versus some other method of trying to figure out what's in the best interest of the pet? Well, I, I think one of the things that the new laws are doing is changing judges' views of what a pet is. I mean, uh, before these new concepts, a, a pet was like a piece of furniture to be divided up. And uh, now they are realizing that they are living beings that have emotions, that have feelings, and, and, and it's so important to take that into account. That being said, I, when I sat family as a judge, it always amazed me that people would let a, a stranger who happens to wear a black robe make life decisions for them, you know, i.e. where the children live, you know, where the pets go, uh, you know, who gets the furniture? Uh, you know, and and uh, that's why I'm I've always been a big believer in mediation because it empowers the parties to resolve the dispute on terms that's agreeable to them, and that includes the best interests of the pet and where the pet really belongs. and And with the aid of a able mediator, it really it's just such an and since I've been in private practice, it's it's such. I've, I've seen how empowering it is and how important it is to parties to be able to resolve their case instead of going to court and let a stranger do it. 
Right. And I, I guess people would say, well, we couldn't agree. We couldn't agree. And, and I don't know how you feel about this, Doug, but I often think sometimes the attorneys fuel that flame of disagreement. They don't necessarily help the parties get it right over being right. Well, lawyers are trained to be advocates. And when they come to mediation, one of the first things I do in the pre-mediation conference, even at the first joint session with everybody, is say I've asked the lawyers to do something that's really hard for lawyers to do, and that's to take off their advocate hat and put on their collaborative hat. And when it comes to any kind of decision making, you know, it has to be a collaborative process. And you know, especially for a pet who really doesn't have a voice. Uh, and, and the humans really have to work together to figure out what's in the best interest of that that animal that doesn't have a voice. So it, it has to be a collaborative process. I love that word collaborative because it really does, you know, the animals all get along together. You shared with us that maybe the cat and dog didn't necessarily like each other, but they <laughs> in harmony together. And that's what we're, we're searching for going forward. One of my favorite quotes that I use very often is unfortunately your pet doesn't hate your ex. And if we can focus on that, you might hate your ex and you might never want to see them again. However, if the dog push came to shove and you weren't in the picture, uh, the dog would, or cat, would likely want to be with the next person they know. So Gabrielle, how about you? Because I know you've had this experience a few times. I think we've chatted about this, where it's really difficult to have people separate out what's in the best interest of the pet and wanting to uh, be right. So to address your first question regarding how I feel about the this being put into the hands of the stranger in black robes, you know, I think I think it's a wonderful thing on the one hand because it's it's giving the animals, if you will, a voice. Um, of course, the problem then, as I see it, is one of process. Right? We have judges with overly burdened dockets who are having a hard enough time fitting in. Um, you know, all the issues pertaining to kids and assets, and now we're we we need to tell them how they're going to assess this, right? It, it, you know, we're going to need, I, I think we're going to need some, you know, pet psychologists or, you know, s some people who really understand the way different breeds work so that they can make really informed decisions. I don't really think it's fair to the judiciary to just make them decide it without giving them the requisite tools. And hopefully that's happening. Um, but, you know, to reiterate um, and build on what, you um, Judge Mince just said, you like I'm calling you judge now, judge. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, judge. Uh, no, that's I okay. That's okay. Um, it, well, you are a judge. Um, judge judge Mince um, retired. That's okay. <laughs> Ret judgments. Um, you know, there, I have a whole chapter in my first book, Better Apart, about beware the stranger in black robes. There's no magic formula. I, I clerked for a judge in New York City where I brought over a thousand high conflict cases to resolution. Um, and, and I have to say that one thing that I'm certain of is that if both parties have the mindset of creating the best outcome possible, and they have a single focus on making a, a positive environment for themselves, their children, their pets, going forward, they can do that. That The private divorce solution is, it's mediation within a container. So like when I work with people, basically we go from beginning, middle and end and 
I'm not going to say a hundred of percentages of the cases resolve perfectly, but like probably 97% do within three months, you know, six months on the protracted, because we really talk a lot about what we want, what this looks out through the pre-mediation stage. You know, um, I know a lot of people don't know what pre-mediation is. Judgments also alluded to that. And pre-mediation is extremely important because that's where we're setting up, you know, the who, what, when we're housed. That's when we're outlining, you know, where we can pull back a little, where we can press forward, where, where we can get to resolution. You know, and where, you know, we, because we fight about what we want and we resolve around what we need. Yep. And, and when we think about our pets, we want to think about what do the pets need? We don't know. We are not pets. We don't like, we're not dogs. I know I'm not a cat. I can't remember the guy on the the video from the courthouse. He was like, I'm not a cat. Um, Right. right, I'm not a cat. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know how that translates on your podcast, but anyway, you know, we're not animals, very few of us really know that much about all the breeds of animals. And it is really important to understand the why, what is the need of the animal and how to address that need. And that's the secret to getting along really is all about how do we get to what the emotion or the need really is? Because all of our arguments about all things can be resolved almost like magic. I mean, it feels like magic to me, probably to Doug also, right? Like when you get to that resolution, that aha, that like, oh, I can do that. Yeah, that makes sense. It's because we have we have sated that, that itch, that motivation, that intrinsic unhappiness beyond I want the dog, right? Okay, I'm rambling now. I no, know you're it's not. A- it's, <laughs> I am sitting here mesmerized because this is usually the tack I take in that most of the time I say, just think about where the dog would be in this situation. And that's why I I always think that sometimes giving it to a third party can be problematic because they don't know your dog, your cat, your bird, your horse. Uh, they, They don't understand the nuances and to award it to one party can often be problematic because in, at least in New York, uh, and, uh, Doug, uh, let me know if there have been any decisions, because I know Connecticut doesn't have a domestic relation legislative uh, requirement yet. I say yet. Uh, but in New York, the ones that have been awarded have been based on the lovey, which was um, a dog uh, standard, which means where they were loved and where they felt loved, that's where they should stay, which sort of is biased towards staying in the house where they lived, which may or may not be the best of all places, and I would I would suggest that if something happened to that person, then where would the pet go? Does the person who fought for it get it back um, at that point? So there are so many things that, as you beautifully put, the process needs to be fleshed out. Some education needs to be given to the parties who are, you know, helping parties make this decision. Um, I love it because it goes really to the second part of your new book's title, which is, and it's easier than you think. It is easier than you think if you take a step back and have someone help you look at it from a want versus a need perspective. I don't know, um, Judge. There you go. Um, well, jump right in there. Well, I mean, what Gab, what you said, and what Gabrielle said about 
resolving and how it, it works. I think Ken Cloak, I think, was the, the founder of uh, Mediation Beyond Borders, or border, I forget the name of the organization, but he, he once did a, a seminar for a group of interns at the United Nations who happened to know one of the interns. And she said that he said, anybody know a mediator? And she raised her hand and said, go ask that mediator if, if he or she believes in miracles. And so she did. And she came to me and I said, absolutely, I believe in miracles. It's, I, every time I resolve a case, it's a miracle, you know, because and, and the process is so important. And Gabrielle's right. In the pre-mediation conference, you set forth what the process is going to be. And you got to get people to buy into the process for it to work. And, yeah. and trust the process, right, Gabrielle? They have to trust that the process works, even when it gets a little difficult. That's right. right. And, and I also, in my pre-mediation, pre I kind of like outline certain behaviors that we all do, which are destructive, only to name them so that people can catch themselves. I tell them, you're going to catch the other person doing these, but I'm going to challenge you to catch yourself doing these. Not because suddenly you're going to be a different person, but just notice, are you minimizing? Are you catastrophizing? Are you steamrolling? You know, are, are you um, burying your head in the sand? Are you stirring the pot? You know, what things are you doing? Can you take that pause, take the step back and get underneath? And th that's where the magic happens. And I'm sure that Doug Mintz has a similar, um, um, experience. Yeah. No. And the experience were like some, I do settlement conferences a, a lot in New York where people are about, you know, they're waiting for a court date and they just hire me for a bunch of hours and I read all their motions. And sometimes you get these motions and I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> like, I have no idea. And then you get in the room and I think like, oh my gosh, you know, I start to have this whole panic. Like they hired me. How am I going to do this? But like, it just always works out. I don't know how it is like a miracle, it, but I think it's creating the space in a way that everyone's needs are heard. And, and circling back to the pets, how do we get, how do we know the pets needs? So, so, and I think it's more than just what is this pet for the little bit of research I've done. It's more than, you know, who walks the dog? How does this dog do? in this, you know, certain breeds from what I understand can, can change houses, other breeds can't change houses. And, you know, all that kind of thing. If we can understand, we can balance the dog's needs with the, the owner's needs. I think that's, that's the best way. And so I think for the judiciary, um, some sort of education has to happen around pets needs. The, the wonderful thing about mediation is you have flexibility that the court system doesn't have. And I tell people, uh, it's, it's interesting, pets, uh, there's three P words, the process that we've talked about. But then I tell people, I'm going to be patient, but I'm going to be persistent. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to keep trying to get work through impasse, work through problems. And, but we need to be patient to let the process work. And Gabrielle's right in terms of pets, you know, to, to figure out the real needs and the best interests of a pet really is uh, paramount to, you know, allowing the pet to have a good life. And I think that's what everybody goes into it thinking. And if we can help people 
um, maybe decide to make a plan before they get there, that would be even better. As all of us say, pre-paving a positive outcome is fabulous. Um, we're still going to hang on a little bit before we transition to that into that wonderful patience and persistence and process because it it seems to me sometimes, and I don't know how both of you feel, sometimes people run to litigation, either advised by their attorney to do it because you're going to win. I love that. That always makes me very happy. Um, and then once they're in litigation, they feel like they have to stay there because they can't, they can't give it up. They, they, this is, I'm right and you're wrong. And we have found as practicing mediators that holding a safe space for that until someone can find that getting it right sometimes would be in their best interest. What do you guys think about that? Gabrielle, I'm going to start with you. In that question, have you ever had the um, issue where someone is so stuck on being right, um, and then you help them transition to seeing that being right will include getting it right? So I phrase it a little bit differently than that. In the pre-mediation, we talk a bunch about being fair and being reasonable, and a lot about perspective. So the people who I'm mediating with are primed to the concept of perspective. And it tends to be, you know, bright forward thinking people who hire me, <laughs> um, you know, like the, there's no posturing. We're just going to go to court. Like the people who come in are a very self-selected group. We have a pre-mediation. Right. So, so being right is, is really not part of the conversation because it's, it is removed from the conversation in the beginning. Now, is it part of the conversation in the back of the minds of the participants? I'm sure that it is, but I really feel as a mediator, our role, and I, I, you, I think you'd both agree, is to just keep neutralizing, right? I'm not here to be didactic and to tell the people who are getting divorced is to scold them. I'm not gonna, you know, rather just to always listen, make sure the other person heard, and then give the other person the opportunity. So it doesn't escalate. It's like a big exercise in de-escalation and peeling back the layers. And that's how you get to the resolution. So you are self-selected, but Doug, you've probably had a few that have come in pretty um, positional and their perspectives are pretty set. It, it is so important especially for people who think they're right, to let them be heard. Yeah. Let them say why they think they're right. Let them, you know, uh, and then as a mediator with active listening, you reframe what they're saying. That gives the opportunity to allow a different perspective to be brought in. Yeah. Uh, now, Doug, when you're doing that in a, a family law situation, do you do that with everybody in the room? Do they do that with each other? No, I I, uh, I think caucuses are very important for that kind of uh, situation, whether it's family or, or any other kind of mediation, uh, because there may be times that, you know, if you do it together, talk about you have to spend around three hours undoing what was said together. So there's a difference between uh, saying things in a joint room, which 
you really need to be careful about as opposed to in, in caucus where the the people can be really transparent and open with you and let them be heard so that's right but i find usually in caucus unless the people are extraordinarily amped up um once they hear once they've been heard they usually are able to move off of their position if not in that single session in a second session or like in a settlement conference which of course when lawyers are involved i haven't done any screening because they're already in court they're just settling yeah. and in, but even in those cases, I start off by just saying, I know you have clearly disparate positions and we're going to work from a place from the center. So probably coming at it similarly, but a little bit different stylistically. It's, it's really important. What both of you said is that they, every party needs to be heard. And once they feel as if they've been heard and understood, you don't have to agree with them, right? No, nobody has to agree. You just have to be heard and understood. Um, then if you bring them back together or you keep them together to work it out, which will take three hours as opposed to maybe an hour, um, you, you really want to help them choose a path that's going to work for the pet which is what you're trying to have them focus on. What's really in the best interest of the pet? And as um, Doug said, you know, are you going to leave it to a guy in black robes who doesn't really know Fluffy? Or are you going to take the time to say, you know, this is really important to me and I um, want to know and want to plan for Fluffy's best interest going forward. Uh, so I'm, I'm so thrilled you guys have uh, brought all of these processes for people to think about if in fact they're having a disagreement over their pet in a divorce. But I know both of you would probably think and give me your thoughts on trying to prepave a better outcome at the end by when you get a pet, uh, decide whether or not there's a better way to end up. So if you get into come into a relationship with a pet, will you take that pet out? I've had several relationships where they were lived together for seven years. The dog was a puppy and then, you know, they lived together for seven years and then there's, I bought the puppy. So it's my puppy and I'm leaving with the puppy. And there never was that discussion. What are your thoughts on, because I know both of you would probably have some ideas on what someone who's living happily with a pet right now might want to do to make sure at the end of the day, if they start not to like each other, that the pet doesn't suffer. Doug? I think it's so important for people to recognize uh, that the best interest of the pet is what's paramount. And just because, just because you bought the pet and brought the pet in, the pet could end up bonding with the other person just as easily as with you. Uh, so I would say the discussion really shouldn't take place as soon as you get the pet. It should take place a year into the pet's life because then you'll, you can see who's bonded more with the pet or where the pet is, is more responsive. So I, I, I think timing is really important. It's not like a prenuptial agreement that you do before the marriage uh, with a pet you have to see how the relationship develops before you can really decide what's in the best interest of that pet. 
I like that. I like that a lot um, because it it gives you time to settle in. And then maybe as you're settling in, you revisit it. We all revisit things. And so, you know, a prenup or a pupnup, um, mm-hmm. as you get the pup or as you enter a relationship with a previous dog you had, you know, you you every two or three years say, well, what's the what's the outcome here? What would we do? Because everybody's relationship and time with the pets change. So I'm I'm a real, in fact, I gave a program and everybody said, you go back and check if it's working after we have a mediation and they decide what to do with the pet. I go, yeah, because people's lives change. And often what they think they can do, they can't do. And so you don't want to make them feel guilty. I loved how both of you had said that. You don't want to make them feel guilty. You don't want them to think they aren't living up to their, you know, terms of their pet, but their life changed. Gabrielle, what do you think? Is a plan a plan before? I love Doug's, you know, doing it maybe after you know where everything shakes out is fabulous. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that like a child um, custody plan, you really cannot predetermine what the plan is going to be. Unfortunately, it would be nice to have everything nice and neat in a box and all set to go, but that's just not how um, live interactions work. Even sometimes money interactions can't all be signed, sealed, and squared away um, because things can change so much. I think flexibility is really important. And I think that the best interest of the pet is going to have to prevail. So yes, you might do it one year out and then again, three years out and again, X more years out. There are animals who do rehome really well. I mean, again, I just think it really is going to have to be done on a animal by animal, case by case, pup by pup or cat by cat basis. Um, I don't think there is, as far as I can see, a one size fits all resolution. But I do think, circling back to what I said in the beginning, if there were some kind of process that were agreed upon as the best practices, and I think that that process really has to be arrived at by, I don't know if it's vets or if there's some kind of pet psychologist, like people who really understand how different breeds of animals function. I think they really need to be at the forefront of the conversation here so that the correct expert is weighing in to make the best outcomes for the animals. And you know, um, as the author of Better Part, you've probably dealt with this with children, maybe not with pets in the book, but now with your new book, The Secret to Getting Along, The Treaker to Get Along, to Getting Along, uh, this would be an important piece of applying the information that's found in that book, because this is the secrets of getting along. It's the process you want to bring to the table. It's the process you want to bring to the courts. So the courts really, now that they have these requirements, might want to say, well, I'd like to have an animal behavior. I'd like to have uh, a veterinarian. I'd like to have maybe even, you know, someone who's a vet social worker now that they have vet social workers who knew uh, come in and help the parties because I believe the judges are going to do the best job they absolutely can in a really incredibly difficult situation. And if they can, and I mean this in the most loving way, farm out. (laughs) (laughs) the emotional part of this to people who can help the parties understand what the pet's emotional part of this is because that's what they do for a living. I think you're absolutely right, Gabrielle, that might be the best uh, way to have this 
happen. So do me a favor, because I'm sure there are parts in your first book, um, Better Apart, um, and your, se- your new second book that's coming out in like a week or so, that are going to apply to this kind of conversation so people can get the book and then use part of, you didn't even know that this was going to apply, but it can to uh, people divorcing with pets. Absolutely. Absolutely. Taking that pause and figuring out what is going to best serve your pet. And, you, and, you know, it's a very complicated issue also if there are children, right? Because sometimes the pet is very bonded with the child, although from what I understand, they're more bonded usually with whoever's taking care of them, which tends not to be the child, but it might be very supportive for the child to be with the animal. So I do think this is quite a burden on the judiciary. And I do think that the judges are just going to do the best that they can. But as I really think through all of the angles of this um, new problem or this new solution, there, there, there's a lot to unpack. And I think it's going to take time, but eventually we'll get it right. And I know that, um, Doug, as a former legislator and then as a judge, you know that there's a lot of legislature that means well, that is put in place. And then you go, okay, so how do we flaming do this? How do we provide this? And so I think this is one of them where everybody really meant well, because they want people to consider the best interests of the pet. Uh, However, how do you, I know both of you know, it's hard to define that for children. So how do you even can think about defining it for pets? Well, I mean, the irony is, is people complain that litigation is so expensive. And with those new type of laws, people are going to have to hire the experts to come into court and provide expert testimony as to you know, the best interests of the pet. And that's, and that's another you know, boost for mediation because it's less expensive and, and, and is, you, know, you don't necessarily need that kind of expertise. So uh, I always used to joke that the legislature comes back every year to fix the mistakes they made the year before. So, I mean, it's it's an interesting uh, process. I mean, I got to tell you, one of the things that, uh, having been a former bird owner, a parrot, you know, you've got some pets that live for forty or fifty years, which is a whole different dynamic than a dog or a cat. So, I mean, it's interesting. I wonder how that aspect, uh, you know. Uh, the birds are really intelligent in there, you know, and, and uh, uh, one of my neighbors had it and, and the bird stayed with him and seems to be okay. So, I mean, just an aspect that it's not just 14 or 15 years, it could be 40 or 50 years you're talking about. Yeah, if you have a horse, if you have a tortoise, if you have a, a parrot, if right. so many of Did the- you see there's a, a tortoise or a turtle, 188 years old, just celebrated yes. their birthday? 188, yes. like- I don't and know, he's, in a, he's in a he's in a he's in a sanctuary, which is great. Uh, however, if you have one, I have a friend who had two tortoises who gave them to a sanctuary because after a while they got a little too big. And what was she going to do? So I love this conversation, and I know that the secret of getting along has a lot of pieces within it that people who are having disagreements with respect to pets could probably apply. Gabrielle, what do you think? I think I can't wait to finish reading it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just like like any other argument that we're having, you know, figuring out what you're doing behaviorally, taking that step back, 
so that you can cool your system down and then really figuring out what is at the center of the of the need that's really going to help you to um to, re to reach a resolution that you both feel good about, right? I mean, there's no perfect solution for, for most of our arguments in all parts of our lives, right? There's like no perfection. It's just like good enough. So how do we get to good enough so that we can just all move on and enjoy our lives? That's really, from my perspective, that is the goal. It's not that we're gonna make the most dysfunctional problems be great but we're going to make them better. And then there are better, you know, relationships that are pretty good. Maybe we can find something that's a little bit better and so forth. Yeah, so I, I, I agree with, I agree with Gabrielle. You can't sacrifice the good seeking for perfection. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Perfection paralysis can kill us all. And really, if you look to your pets for some guidance, they are going to show you that, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm I'm going to survive with whomever I have. I uh, I'll share a short story before we wrap up. I had a client who had a, um, a Rhodesian Ridgeback uh, who ran triathlons with her. So he practiced with her every day. So he swam and he rode next to her bike and he ran next to her. And her husband liked to watch baseball and football. And he would sit. And she sent me a picture of the dog sitting back on his haunches in the couch, like a person with a, a logo shirt on for the team that was playing that her husband was rooting for eating Cheetos. So there you go. You know, the dog was like a super fine-tuned athlete one day That's and then the couch potato the next day. And, you know, having bred Irish setters for 40 years, I know every dog is different. Every person is different. Every family situation is different. So if you are having an issue First of all, pick up one of Gabrielle's books, either Better Apart or The Secret to Getting Along, because it's going to give you tips on how to have this conversation so that you keep the best interests of the pet uh, forefront. Then try to find a mediator in Connecticut. You can get Doug or Gabrielle. Um, she's up in Massachusetts. So we can find these people who are going to help us, first of all, respect our own perspective, which is what we do, but then re recognize that other perspectives are not as heinous as we think if we just take a moment to breathe and be mindful that, you know, this is this is our pre-response to what our husband or wife ever said to us. So we are patterned to respond in a certain way. I know you guys don't think any of your clients are patterned to respond in a certain way. They, it's, it's, and if you can learn these tips that Gabrielle's going to give you in the new book and has just beautifully given you in her first book, you will absolutely be able to know what the pet needs and why the pet matters in this conversation as opposed to getting it right. Um, judgments, thank you so much for being here. Gabrielle, as always, love you guys. This is Deborah Hamilton, and you've been listening to Why Do Pets Matter? Thank you so much for coming. So much in the show notes, including a link to Gabrielle's book that's coming out and all the information that you can read and watch because Gabrielle's has a wonderful TEDx speech um, that is the secret to getting along. Uh, you have to watch it. And Doug, thank you so much. Sorry, I didn't call you judge all the time, but this is pretty <laughs> informal. And, and I'm so glad you guys had a great relationship with uh, pets. So until next time, this is Deborah Hamilton.